0: that's something which differs from platform to platform so i'm sure you know that facebook's algorithm and google's algorithm has been changing particularly in the last couple of weeks and months you see a whole lot of changes in your traffic in your in the way things work on facebook on the new ios apis so at the end of the day it differs from platform to platform so the short the long answer is to say Hey, you know, we took the algorithms, we tried to reverse engineer the algorithms, but at the end of the day, it boils down to this one thing called experimentation. So the prediction collects data dynamically. So that's the most important thing. Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those who don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globe-trotting adventurer, Jeff May.
1: Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where our SaaS founders don't just talk or dabble, they execute and do. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. Yeah, SaaS founders we work with, they aren't passive investors or consultants or executives. They are at their core doers. And I'm constantly amazed and inspired at the great things that they're doing and creating. You know, over the past few weeks, I've had some amazing founder conversations about progress, strategic shifts, and plans as we head into a really uncertain fourth quarter. Mark Cuban says that wherever there is change and wherever there is uncertainty, there is opportunity. And I think that's dead on correct. We're headed into a season like we haven't seen in years. It's kind of a weird time. It's an uncertain time for sure. But you as a SaaS founder and leader, are uniquely positioned to seize the opportunity that's in front of you. The greatest advantage most of you have is agility and your ability to quickly adapt to trends and market changes. Some of the big companies, even in SaaS, are really slow to move. And you know, as founders, it's still easy to get sucked into gloom and doom forecasts and don't do it. Turn off the news, don't watch or listen to garbage. Fill your head with ideas And keep your eyes open and looking for opportunities because if you do, you will see them. You ever like buy a car or start looking for one and you didn't notice them before, but now you see them everywhere, often in the exact same color as yours. You know, you thought it was unique, one of a kind. You know, they only had one of those favorite color, but now you see it everywhere. And the same thing can happen with opportunities. They could be new clients, product enhancements, partnerships, promotions, ideas, or maybe even acquisitions. But keep your eyes open as we head into this new season, and you will be amazed at what you see and that the opportunities are around you. They're there all the time, but we just don't see them kind of like those cars on the road until we start focusing in, and that's where we start seeing them everywhere. In last week's episode, we talked with Mike Red, Chief Marketing Officer of Quala.io, customer service platform for SaaS businesses that is powered by intelligence mined from interactions between customers and frontline teams. So if you missed that episode, it was a great conversation. Go back and give that a listen and learn all about how client success can be a lot smarter way faster. My guest this week is Ann Ching, CEO of Supercharge Lab, which uses AI for marketing and client acquisition. Now, this isn't an old-school ads manager with an AI label slapped on the front of it. It's an all-encompassing digital marketing solution that allows you to sit back, relax, and supercharge your growth. It's a really impressive solution. Ann is an equally impressive entrepreneur. She's a serial entrepreneur who sold two of her previous startups and pays it forward. She is all about innovation, social enterprise, and humanitarian causes, all of which I love, and spends her time helping small businesses improve their efficiency and build sustainable innovations that can impact humanity. So welcome with me, founder, funder, CEO, and marketer extraordinaire, Ann Ching. Well, hey, Ann, welcome to SAS Fuel. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm really excited
0: to be here.
1: I'm really excited to have you. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and how you started Supercharged
0: Labs. Wow, that's a long story, really, but maybe we can start with my startup journey. A couple of decades ago, I started getting fascinated with why we make specific decisions, why we, how we think and how that influences decisions, and how we, what information we require to make a really, really good decision. For example, when, when we talk about buying something, oftentimes we out in Asia where I first started, we needed to get three quotes from different vendors and we then had to compare the value of each quote and what's the after sales service. We needed to compare who else in my comp who of my competitors was using this particular solution. What are the stats, what are the performance guidelines? All that jazz and that struck me as really rudimentary so back in the old days before we became super digital we used to take lots of papers and put it together put an Excel spreadsheet together and make comparisons and then I decided to start a company back in I believe 2006 2008 in that period and that was to basically do that Excel spreadsheet only on steroids We were able to help our clients in that period of time to boost their sales by 300% by giving customers only the information that they needed in order to make an informed decision. Fast forward to my days as a startup investor, I discovered how so many startups didn't know what they were doing. We built a lot of uh, infrastructure to help startups to make better decisions. And then I fast forward again, 2018 rolls around, And here I am consulting for the world's largest companies. And guess what? They don't know what they're doing either. So you think that a startup who doesn't have financial muscle, doesn't have might, doesn't have the ability to hire the best person, cannot make the right decision efficiently. But guess what? The uh, the people all the way up there with all that financial muscle, with all that experience and that legacy and the right people from Stanford and Harvard they still don't make the right decisions oftentimes. So what's missing here? What's missing is data. What's missing is intelligence. What's missing is the ability to peer into the future. And so how I started Supercharged Lab was literally this fascination with what cognition, what triggers the cognition, the cognitive process of decision-making behavior. So we started our first solution. We called it SIGMEN for obvious reasons. It's all about neuroscience. It's all about cognition. And the first decision we you know, went after was the sales decision. We said, if I could provide better messaging, better data, can we help people buy better? Not to let people sell more, but to help people buy better. And by helping people to buy better, our clients started to sell more, if that makes sense. Fast forward a little bit more, and uh, we launched the second product, signal Marketing. So we helped to dissect why people engage with brands why people resonate with brands and yeah recently in 2022 just about five months ago we actually launched our Sigmund which was our predictive analytics solution which essentially has the singular purpose of predicting how profitable or, or how, well predicting the future by understanding the reasons why we make decisions. So that's the journey to Supercharged Lab.
1: Wow, that is amazing. So how did you make your decisions to start companies, to exit companies, and continue your, your journey through through marketing and making, helping other people make better decisions?
0: Yeah, so I started my first company and I failed several times. When I was very young, I would start a website and I would think, oh, everybody's going to come to my website and transact. And obviously, you're one of a gazillion uh, websites, and nobody came. I borrowed money from my mom. I borrowed money from my brother. I failed many times. And then I guess at a certain point, I discovered that it was all about helping people. So when I started my first company, which I exited, the truth is we helped a customer achieve it's gold. So at the end of the day, it dawned on me that you cannot get run a successful company if you're not going to help somebody do something that they need to achieve. So why I came to a point where I was able to create the impetus for Sigmund was simply because I said, what do people need help with? And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Today, we have multiple Sigmund products and even have had so much interest in the latest product, our Sigmund, that one of the clients who we were building for looked at us and said, instead of giving you the money to build, our Sigmund, why don't I buy out your company? And this was not the only company that said the exact same thing. So yeah, we've had quite a good run and we're very excited what the future is going to bring.
1: That's great. Well, it seems obvious that better decisions are going to you know, have better revenue and better companies. But what are the the tangible benefits somebody implements, Sigmund, what do they get? How do they use that data to help people make better buying decisions?
0: Well, I think at the end of the day, it's knowing yourself better. I think we tend to try to find out so much about the world around us that we fail to remember that first we need to know what our limitations are, what our, our skills and advantages are, and what our value proposition is. So the first thing that r segment does is that it plugs data that you already have and unlocks the value of that data. It uses dynamic external data feeds to augment your data and understand what you're, you're trying to predict. For example, if I want to predict if a, what's the best sale to pursue, say I have a whole bunch of leads in my CRM and I want to understand what does this customer really want What are the challenges this customer faces? What are the ways that the decision makers are thinking about the problem? If I had all that and I scored it based against profitability, as a salesperson, as a representative of the organization, I would immediately know exactly how much effort to apply to it, the strategy to apply to a particular sale, and at the end of the day, the approach. What's the most important way to build rapport? You might say that there are many solutions out there that look at facial recognition, see if the, it sees if the person on the other end of the line is happy or positive and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if you're not solving a problem, we can build all the rapport in the world and you're still not going to get a sale. And likewise, the, it's vice versa. If you have all the solutions, but you cannot engage with a person on their level, you're going to fail anyway.
1: Is it something that could be considered self-fulfilling if we have a prediction and then we put the effort into that and then it happens? Would the same outcome have happened if we hadn't put the effort in or we had treated it like anything else? How do we know that prediction works?
0: Yeah, that's a really fascinating question and by far one of the most unique questions I've ever been asked. So one of the things about prediction is that it Feet of data that you give it, as well as data in the marketplace, the external dynamic data that I like to talk about. So I think one of the biggest things is it helps you set yourself apart from a cognitive perspective. But yes, you're absolutely right. Sometimes it's that self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You say to a particular your team members, hey, customer A seems to be very disengaged. Let's apply a lot more effort into this particular client only because I think we can upsell and resell certain solutions to this client. So when you see that the prediction says, oh, it's highly likely that this particular client is going to re-engage with you, you then realize that you kind of fill that loop, you close that loop by applying your effort into it. But then again, being a sales professional as a business owner, you have to be a sales professional, right? I've seen a lot of sales professionals who apply a whole bunch of effort into sales, but they never close a single sale, no matter how much effort you've applied into it. So I'm not sure. I think it's really prediction science is something which is evolving. I think with a large uh, proportion of your time, if you have like confidence, you would apply a large proportion of your time to The best outcomes. People who are open to conversing with you, people who are open to setting a test with you. So there are two ways to look at things.
1: That makes sense. So how can SaaS companies use uh, prediction models, predictive analytics to help grow their business?
0: I think it's really there are multiple ways, especially when we talk about SaaS companies. There are different types of SaaS companies. The small companies, they can look at sales predictions So I think when you're smaller, you focus a lot on building revenue, building recurring income. When you're a little bit larger, you start looking at the return on investment with all your initiatives, whether it's a marketing initiative, whether it's a research and development initiative, whether it's a product management initiative. So when you are able to predict the outcomes, the profitability of any particular project or initiative, That will help you run your business a lot more efficiently. For example, if I could predict exactly when logistics are best purchased, warehouse availability, logistics availability, I can reduce my costs. Or for example, if I talk about marketing, if I can predict return on ad spend to a level of confidence, I would know exactly whether I should apply my dollars to particular experiments, marketing experiments instead of others. So I guess it's really a question of what you need. Predictive analytics today, unfortunately, I see a lot of people applying it to what we call standard use cases. And I see that, well, custom use cases are being done by the big boys like IBM and Microsoft. And unfortunate thing is that it costs you millions of dollars in order to apply predictive analytics. Whereas the smaller predictive analytics companies who charge a lot less, they're forcing you to have standardized use cases. Now, in order to have standardized use cases, you essentially will need to have what we call a standardized data fingerprint or a data warehouse that fits within their plug and play model. And that's essentially one of the few things which should not be ever done. It's like telling you, hey, Jeff, I think you should have the same fingerprint as me, which I don't think it's quite possible (laughs) at this point. So just the same way all of us collect data and view data in a very different way. So what we've been able to do is build a API which absorbs your data, takes in your data in a very unstructured manner and puts it into a very structured uh, platform before creating a custom use case. That's reduced costs, democratized predictive analytics for a whole bunch of people.
1: That's interesting, I like that, the unstructured and then puts it into a structure. Is that so that you can connect things that are not necessarily, we wouldn't look at the data set and connect ourselves?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think one of the biggest things about AI is that AI is 90% data and 10% actual programming. So I think one of the biggest problems with AI is people not understanding how to do data engineering, data modeling and stuff like that. So, I think connecting the dots with data and helping people to see that it's not that difficult when it comes to data. I know that unstructured data and, worse still, data from disparate sources. I had a client who had 40 years of data in like five different formats, some in paper format, some in CD-ROMs back in the day, can you imagine? Yeah. And then reams and reams of papers and little hard drives which look like Bibles and encyclopedias. So I think one of the things is helping people to say, uh, see that data is not that difficult. Even though it looks crazy, at the end of the day, can, how do we take unstructured data using AI and apply different facets of AI to, to creating structure in your
1: data well one of the things you mentioned was use cases and so i don't know if this would be a standard use case or a custom use case but but you said return on ad spend and that is something that i think we all are interested in i know that's something i'm always wondering you know you should i do this ad or that one or where do we put marketing dollars how do the algorithms figure into that and how do we know what ads are going to work or not using the analytics like that
0: that's really fascinating because I think that's something which differs from platform to platform so I'm sure you know that Facebook's algorithm and Google's algorithm has been changing particularly in the last couple of weeks and months you see a whole lot of changes in your traffic in your in the way things work on Facebook on the new iOS apis so at yes. the end of the day it differs from platform to platform so the short, the long answer is to say, hey, you know, we took the algorithms, we tried to reverse engineer the algorithms, but at the end of the day, it boils down to this one thing called experimentation. So the prediction collects data dynamically. So that's the most important thing. A lot of times when you do performance marketing, you spend seven days waiting for the winner or the loser of the test, and then right. you take the winner, and then you put on another test, and you see what works, and then you predict whether it, it, it's the winner. This campaign is the winner or the loser, and iterative process. So what we've been able to do is not need to wait till the end of each cycle to be able to predict the winner. We are able to launch, shut down losers early on. We're able to predict winners early on. And then we keep on iterating. So the learning is faster. And that helps you to predict your return on ad spend quite quickly ahead of time. So of course, there is going to be this part where it's a hit or miss. So it's okay. We predict that it's got a profitability of 2.57, but we don't know how confident it is. It might say the confident of elasticity score or the performance score being 2.57 or the real west being 2.57 at a confidence level, maybe about. 68%. Do you want to go ahead or not? So as it learns, it becomes more confident. And as it iterates, it will tell you exactly the score, whether you want to keep going or do you want to stop.
1: I would love to know that in hours or days instead of weeks.
0: Absolutely. You find
1: winners a lot faster. So I think there's a huge benefit. But does this work for small to medium-sized companies as well? Or is predictive analytics and, and what we're talking about here really just for the big guys?
0: So I will say that it's moving towards the smaller guys. So let's put things in context, right? So in North America, where we work right now, the small guys have million-dollar budgets. So the big guys have billion-dollar budgets. So when we talk about small, the question is how small are we talking about? Predictive analytics, yes, is expensive because it takes a lot of data engineering, and that's probably where the cost is. But to be honest, is that expensive? No, it's not in the millions. What the large, the big boys are charging are in the million dollar figures. The smallest people, the smallest companies that I've seen charge about 50,000 as a starting rate. Is that affordable to your solopreneur? No. Is that sustainable for a funded startup? Definitely.
1: Sure, and that makes a lot of sense say you're in North America today and you talked before about experience in Asia. What is it like working in different geographies with uh, different cultures? What has that experience been like for you and what are you doing today? Your team, is it all here? Do you have team abroad as well?
0: Yeah, I think um, coming from Asia, I think I've never quite left my heart or rather I've never quite brought my heart to North America. I love working here in North America. I love the. The buzz, I love the excellence and the rigor. But a large part of my heart is still in Asia, particularly in Southeast Asia. I actually just got back from a trip to see my team up in Southeast Asia, where I'm from. I'm from Singapore originally. Beautiful country. It's a yeah, wonderful Small
1: place. but a beautiful place.
0: Small but really impactful. <laughs> so I think Things have changed a lot post-pandemic with Southeast Asia. People are starting to open up. So it's an extremely fragmented market. So anything you see in Singapore versus Malaysia and Thailand, it's a completely different culture. So we're being able to work with Southeast Asians because people are so different, just a hundred miles away from each other, and they're completely different cultures. And I think that has given me a lot of resilience in working in the U.S. market where it's not as fragmented culturally. A lot of the way we do business in Chicago versus the way we do business in Michigan or New York, it's hardly very different. But culturally in Southeast Asia, it's very different. So I think it gives you that adaptability to really learn how to engage with people on their level in a different way.
1: So how has that adaptability served you as an entrepreneur?
0: I think it's served me well. I think it's helped me to connect with people on a very human level. As much as I am such a purveyor of what AI can do for understanding why we make decisions, at the end of the day, without that human connection, AI can only do that much. So I'm not sure if anybody has watched Top Gun Maverick, quick plug-in. You guys all know my age now. But it's the pilot, not the plane. And that's absolutely true. Yes. And
1: that's true with analytics as well. It's not just the data, but it's the human element and the interpretation and the action behind that. But at the end of the day, it's all human connection. So yes. we're talking about real people, real relationships, not just uh, data or algorithms. As they're real people.
0: Exactly. And we have to realize this, that humans build machines so at the end of the day, you've heard of AI getting bias, incorporating biases and making bad decisions only because it's built essentially by humans.
1: So is AI going to take over the world?
0: Oh, we that's have to worry about great, Skynet? That is a great <laughs> question because I've long talked about singularity, technological singularity. And I'm not sure if you noticed, know I think about a couple of weeks ago, Google's DeepMind just said that we have achieved human singularity so singularity that ai that has the ability to think like a human being so will ai one day take over the world i don't know and if it does it's not going to be nice because we humans are have not necessarily been nice all the time
1: unfortunately that's true
0: yeah unfortunately that's true you know we are very polarized we're very opinionated and sometimes we err on the wrong side of truth right so i think on the subject of singularity there is a huge movement i'm not sure if you're aware of this but there is a huge movement to provide ethics and ethical compass for artificial intelligence and it's a growing movement and i think there is hope that at some point hopefully you know technology will learn to be compassionate
1: that's great we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to ask Ann about the biggest lessons that she has learned as an entrepreneur and how we can apply them to our businesses today. Why do some companies achieve explosive growth while others sink into the depths? What do exceptional SaaS companies do that mediocre companies don't? And what can SaaS leaders learn from fish? Hey, check out my book, Small Fish, Big Pond: Building a World-class business that swims circles around competitors. This book delivers powerful business lessons guaranteed to change the way you view your business and includes hands-on exercises and growth tools to get lightning-fast results. Get your copy today at Small Fish Big Pond. Use the code SASFUEL to unlock special bonus audio and video content. Welcome back to SASFUEL. My guest today, Ann Ching from Supercharged Lab. and Ann, earlier you talked about failing a few times and, and trying different things. What are the biggest lessons that you've learned from those failures and that you've been able to, to carry forward that really launched your successes?
0: So I've actually failed many, many times. I failed for multiple reasons where I fell out with my co-founder. I failed where we ran out of money. I failed where we didn't have a clear value proposition So I failed many, many times. I failed because I was too early and then for early stage seed funding. That's a nice way of saying, sorry, we don't really want to fund you. But yeah, I failed for many reasons. And the biggest lesson I've learned is that failure is not final. Love that. uh, Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we need to know is that there's always a comeback. You just need to keep going until you cannot go anymore and then you take action. So I know that Sometimes you get too enamored by the idea of what you're building, you forget to take a look at you know things like what's in the bank, and you realize, oh shit, I have only half a month's <laughs> runway left, what do I do right now to keep it going? So I'll say this, failure is not final. You can fail a gazillion times, and if you let it be final, it will be final. But if you pick yourself up and you say, what can I do today to move that needle? How can I make sure that today is not the day I shut down, I'm out of business. And even if today is the day that you shut down and you're out of business, perfectly fine. Tomorrow, I'll get up, dust myself off and start again. So failure is never final.
1: That's a great, great lesson. I've failed many, many times as well and still do. So it's not something that all in the past, I still make mistakes on a regular basis, probably too often. But yeah. uh, mentors have been one of those things that have been hugely influential in me in preventing a lot of those mistakes. And I know mentoring is something you're passionate about as well. What role have mentors played in your success?
0: I think one of the biggest things is keeping me real. I think they ask the hard questions. Oftentimes we already know the answers to all the hard questions, but we just unable or maybe it's not unable but maybe we're just in denial sometimes, right? So of sometimes course. we go, Okay, you get it. this person is not good in the company. Why did you found the company with this person? And you know, mentors just ask you questions which you already know the answers to. And they will say things like, You know that I'm speaking the truth. And you go, Yeah, I know I'm still in denial, but yes I do know. I think the biggest role of mentors is keeping us real, keeping us honest with ourselves. Because one thing which is the most dangerous thing is that we lie to ourselves too often, thinking that we can go on another day with this bad situation because it's going to change. It's like marrying this bad person and hoping for the person to change. It's a long shot. It can happen. But really?
1: Right, right. So how have you paid that forward in mentoring other entrepreneurs?
0: Yeah, I I do a lot of that. But I think I always say that it's all about experience sharing and asking the questions that you know the answer to, right? It's helping you to come to your own realization of the truth. And I do it with what we call experience shares, sharing what I did wrong, how I failed and how I don't want that person to fail as well. I think Growing up, I had a relative where he was always aspiring to be an entrepreneur, and I used to tell him, I love you too much for you to make the same mistakes I did. So I think mentoring is really about sharing that part of your heart and say, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did, but at the same time, being there for you if you do.
1: That's really powerful.
0: Yeah. Because we
1: are going to make mistakes.
0: Yeah, you can't help it, right? When we are young, we all made the same mistakes. We rebelled against our parents. We acted out. We fell in love with the wrong person. We dyed our hair green. I mean, we've <laughs> all done that, right?
1: Yep. No, that's really, really good. I think that's a great characterization of mentoring and what that's like. So if you could go back and tell yourself something back when you started in the, the very beginning, what would that be?
0: I think it's to listen. I think that... You know, I started out being very headstrong and I like to think that I was the center of the universe, thought I was the New York of the world. So I really wanted to be loved. And that was really the reason and the motivations to always try to be loved and seek um, love. I think as I grow older, I realized that if you really want to seek um, love per se, the the best way to get it is to give it.
1: Absolutely right. So where do you see technology going in the future? What will the world look like, say, five years from now?
0: Well, I think five years from now, we're going to go into a place where people are going to get a little bit more doubtful that the world is becoming a better place. However, 20 years from now, or 10, 15, 20 years from now, I'll say this, people are going to find their faith in humanity again. I think the next generation is going to be one which is going to inspire the Top Gun generation a lot. So I think a lot of the current generation is getting a little bit jaded with the way technology is going, where people are becoming less human, people are becoming more distracted, humans are engaging with each other much a lot less than we used to as individuals, we have five people at a dinner table, and all of them are scrolling their phones. That's the current situation that we're in. However, in 10 to 20 years, I see that the next generation is one which is very different. I was just speaking to a friend, and she told me, my kids today, they're like 10, and they hold a credit card, and with teaching them financial literacy, they're making their own decisions. I have a lot of hope for the next generation to lead us well, to the proverbial promised land where we become a little bit more compassionate, we become a little bit more connected. We see a lot of people in the marketing space that the younger generation are people who actually go into stores, whereas you see a lot of the Gen Xers and the Millennials hiding behind computer screens and literally not even getting out of their pajamas, um, ordering food, ordering everything from Amazon, living on Zoom, Typing on social networks, so yeah, I think things are gonna change, and I think it's gonna change for the better. Give it time.
1: Well, that sounds like a great world, a good transition, more back to human connection and sure. real life relationships, not just digital. So, where can people find out more about you and about Supercharged Lab online?
0: Well, Google Supercharge Lab, you'll definitely find a website, or LinkedIn, or Facebook, or Twitter, or Insta. Don't have a Pinterest yet. We have a YouTube. So it's our handle is at Supercharge Lab on almost every platform except for Instagram. It's at supercharge.lab. You can find me on LinkedIn. I literally respond to almost every message. You can find me on Facebook. I also do respond to almost every message and I give back to a lot of Facebook groups by sharing my knowledge across female founders globally.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, giving back is so huge. I Really appreciate you doing that and being on the show. This was a great conversation.
0: Thank you, you, Jeff. It was such a brilliant time in speaking with you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. All right. We're good. You did fantastic.
0: Thank you, Jeff. That was fun. I really enjoyed that.
1: Good, good. That was a great conversation. I think it'd have a lot of value.
0: Absolutely. I'm thankful for the opportunity, Jeff, very much.
1: Very good. It was fantastic to meet you and be able to do this. The next steps, I can actually tell you when the episode will go live. The live date is currently scheduled for September 27th.
0: Okay, sounds good. And so
1: we release every Tuesday. And by that point, we may go to twice a week. We're building up episodes and so that we can do that probably toward the end of summer. But right now, it's September 27th, and we release every Tuesday. And so probably Thursday, Friday before, we'll have over to you promotional materials. The episode will be edited, so we'll have that to you. We'll have images and audiograms and that kind of thing to promote. And so we'll get that to you the Friday before we'll prep all of it Monday. And we launch Tuesday. The episodes go live early morning and uh, have a team that does all the social posting, but you'll have all of that prior and we'll let you know when it's going live. It's September right now, September 27th. Is Sounds
0: good. Let me know. And um, if you need any help in editing, launching a podcast or promoting a podcast, let me know as well. I am an investor into one of the best podcast technologies in the world. Uh, it's called pod machine. Pod Machine, Okay. Uh, yeah, take a look at that. It helps you promote and manage and edit your podcast. So, yeah, I'll send you a promo code so you can get it cheaper or free.
1: Sure, that'd be great. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, Any promotion is always good. So, more listeners is great.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let me know. I'll we'll uh, promote you as well. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Jeff, it was brilliant meeting with you again. You as well. Uh, Have a great you, day. It. Take care.
1: You too. Bye. All right. Well, thanks again to Ann for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. Learn more about Ann and Supercharged Lab at superchargedlab.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sassfuel.com. So please subscribe or follow us at sassfuel.com. Every time a new person subscribes, 16 enterprise CTOs have sweet dreams about choosing your SaaS solution. It's true, scientifically proven, completely made up fact. But subscribe anyway, and it just might work for you. Well, join us next week for a conversation with Colton Griffin, CEO of Flourish Software, a leading supply chain management and seed-to-sale tracking software solution for the cannabis, CBD, and hemp verticals. It's a fun, maybe a bit controversial, but mostly fun episode that gives an inside look into the industry technology and amazing sophistication and compliance challenges from seed to store. It is a fascinating conversation. So come back, check it out next week, and until we meet again, enjoy the journey.